0: Hey, it's Jess Massa. Thanks for listening to this episode of WTF Health. All this talk about the future of health is brought to you in part by our sponsors, Transparent, OneDrop, Wheel, Pfizer, Vita Health, Utopia, 120 over 80 marketing, and Bayer G4A. And don't forget, if you want to check out the video version of this interview, head on over to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash WTFHealth. Hey, it's Jessica Damasa with WTF Health. What's the future of health? I am talking to the who's who of health tech and healthcare innovation. And today we are going to have a really exciting conversation about kind of the future of mental health when it comes to pharmaceuticals. So please join me in welcoming Kabir Nath. He is the Senior Managing Director for Atsuka, which is Otsuka, is how it's pronounced, pharmaceuticals. It's a pleasure to have you here, Kabir.
1: It's wonderful to be here. Thanks, Jessica, for the invitation.
0: Well, past that first surprise of learning that Atsuka is really pronounced Otsuka, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of excitement here to talk about. I, I really love the approach that you are taking in terms of the way that you're looking at building out a formulary for mental health. And I think it really shows the potential for innovation in the future. And so, you know, you know, it, it, my love for digital therapeutics, I, I'm also very excited by the psychedelic space and you're involved in both so i'm wondering if you could maybe high level for us you know t- tell us about the vision for the future as you see it when it comes to the treatment for mental health i mean what is this formulary that you're building and how do you know those different types of you know new alternative psychedelic medicines fit in with dtx fit in with traditional therapeutics fit in with everything else that's available
1: no, thank you jessica and it's a really good question so First, everything with us starts with the patient. Um, we start with our patient promise that patients are people first. And what we know is that despite some significant advances in pharmacological things, in in drugs like the ones that we have developed and commercialized over the years, still we are failing people with serious mental illness. Um, you know, many people are not getting to good outcomes. And therefore, despite you know the fact that we are a pharmaceutical company at its core. We have for a long time been very focused on how can we bring broader solutions to people living with serious mental illness. We're humble enough to recognize that the pill or the injection we make is only one part of the patient's journey. There are a host of other factors and so on as well. So over the years, as we thought about this, what that has led us to? First, it is essential to continue to look for, to research new modalities. So we must continue to look for new mechanisms of action We signed a a venture, a collaboration with Synovian last year, a global collaboration for co-development and co-commercialization, which has the potential to bring forward a truly novel differentiated mechanism for treatment. We see, for instance, psychedelics, again, as potentially a very novel, highly differentiated mechanism that may really help for people, particularly with some very serious conditions like treatment-resistant depression, um, areas where we have no treatments today, like anorexia or areas like OCD and so on. I think we're very early in that journey. Um, there are, as you know, an explosion of companies active in that space. But we saw that as, you know, again, taking us where the science is taking us. This science is very interesting. A whole host of challenges with how we get that to patients, but something that we believed we had to take, you know, put our foot into that. More broadly, on the digital side, you know, one of the challenges with traditional psychiatry also is, unfortunately, it's about as far from precision medicine as you can get. Um, unfortunately, we don't have today physiological or biological or genetic biomarkers that allow us to say that one particular treatment will work for a given patient or not. And as you're aware, it's essentially a process of experimentation until we're lucky enough maybe to find a drug that works for someone. Because we're so far away, unfortunately, despite billions of dollars of effort from those physiological or genetic biomarkers, we've also long believed that the intersection of technology with psychiatry may enable us to move to something that's more tailored to get to richer patient segmentation and so on. Specifically, you know, we know that there are millions of apps out there that purport to you know, offer mindfulness you know, to improve certain symptoms and so on. But when we actually studied it, we came to the conclusion that in the field of behavioral health, it really is potentially possible to have apps, if appropriately designed with patients in mind, with the right thought around patient engagement, to have apps that could actually truly ameliorate certain symptoms of serious mental illness. And so made the decision a number of years ago that this was an area we wanted to get into recognizing again, it's very challenging, it's a very different paradigm. So our hope is that in the years to come, patients will have the opportunity to access a much broader set of therapies broadly defined, which could be digital as monotherapy, it could be digital as adjunct to traditional drugs, it could be traditional drugs, or it could in future be psychedelics, knowing that they too are going to need to come with psychological support with other digital tools to be effective. So it's still the early days of that promise But as people, as a company that is committed to this area and committed to being leaders in this area, we truly believe that we have to operate across that spectrum for all the difficulties and challenges that brings.
0: No, and I think that's wonderful. And I think, you know, building this treatment, this array of treatment modalities that can address mental health conditions in such diverse ways, you know, it really, it, it puts a lot of arrows in, in everyone's quiver here. I'm curious on the patient side, you know, what kind of of feedback you've been receiving, you know, or, or what you're hearing, you know, as you're looking at the sum total of all that you're building here, you know, I, how receptive are patients, you know, to, to some of these more novel treatments or, you know, the combination of a DTX. Plus a uh, traditional drug. I mean, what, what is the what is the sentiment that you're you're gaining from patients if you so, were to just generalize?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, so what we know is you know when you actually ask patients, I mean, many of them are very open to virtual care, shall we say. And certainly there is a strong sense that you know moving, finding options just to the face-to-face interaction between a provider and a patient gives the patient more choice in their treatment. And that many patients are comfortable with that. We've seen that just with telemedicine. But we also know that increasingly, and particularly you know, as generations shift, people, young patients in particular, are comfortable with the virtual side, with interacting on their phones or other devices and so on. So you know, broadly put, I think there is acceptance. Specifically, when you ask in the field of mental health, there's also significant acceptance. And in fact, for some people, it's a way to deal with the stigma to avoid some of the stigma that unfortunately is still associated with treatment for serious mental illness. All that said, you know, we also fully understand that human interaction is absolutely key, particularly for serious mental illness, which is not just a chemical or biological issue, has con- you know, social, environmental, a whole host of other factors, trauma and so on. So we don't believe that you know, technology in any way is going to substitute for that either but it can be an adjunct
0: on the provider side Talk to me about, about how how receptive they are to getting these new modalities. Because, I mean, this is the thing we always hear on the health technology side of things is you, you need to focus on winning over the clinician. And so I would imagine that this is no different. And in this particular area of medicine, like you just said, very sensitive. So, I mean, talk to me about the clinician side of, of, of adoption as far as, yeah. you know, receptivity to digital therapeutics or receptivity to psychedelics f- f- from your standpoint. I mean, it's coming from a different place than a startup when it comes from, it comes with the backing of a global pharmaceutical company. <laughs>
1: well, so uh, first, let me let me stress again: it's still very early days. Yes, I mean, still, we're, I mean, our core focus remains on our traditional pharmaceutical products. But I think what you know, what we are trying to do is clearly build alliances with providers to provide. Better outcomes for patients. So the first lens is always that patient. So for us, where we've started with digital therapeutics is going through a traditional clinical trial mm-hmm. to demonstrate efficacy. And for us, that's really critical. Similarly, where we are working with other companies or have invested in other companies in psychedelics, it's again, going down a traditional route of building clinical evidence in the time-honored way to show that these things work. So we see that as fundamentally important for, you know, as a starting place we obviously have to do that in order to persuade clinicians that these things are of value to patients, and that's a, that's a key starting point. But I think also, you know, a- again, we know that psychiatrists in particular were very comfortable with telehealth, with telemedicine, so they've accepted that you know, that can play a significant role, mm-hmm. and we see an openness to experimenting with other modalities. I will say, obviously, you know, as well as clinicians, we will need to persuade patients. And that's where again, we are at, still at the very, very early days of generating the evidence you know, on sufficient scale that demonstrates that these things actually bring value to the health system as well. But that clearly is another key challenge that we've got to undertake.
0: I want to go back to the clinical trial that you referenced. So is this the the clinical trial that you're that you're doing with click therapeutics and major depressive disorder? Talk to me a little bit about how that's going because I understand I mean, like when I spoke with you at the Vive event a few months ago or a few weeks ago, um, it, it just kicked off more or less. So where are we? And then I, I'd love broadly to hear your thoughts on, you know, what's what a trial like this means, because what was impressive to me about it was, was not the partnership necessarily between Atsuka and click, but the fact that it was the first fully remote clinical trial ever to be done for major depressive disorder. So I think that this sets a precedent about what can be done in the future, but I'd love to hear, you know, what you think the significance is of this trial as well as, you know, what happened? How's it going? Do we have results yet? <laughs>
1: so, so sadly, we don't have results yet, but uh, hold this space, you know, okay. late this year or early next year, we should get the results of that. So Yeah, I I think a couple of things. I mean, first, this is a digital therapeutic as an adjunct to antidepressants, number one. But number two, as you say, it is the first fully remote trial in major depressive disorder, working with our collaborative partner, Click, but also working with Verily. So we were one of the original partners in the Verily baseline project, one of the first four pharma companies. And so this is being done with them. What's the power of this? Clearly, there are, we hope, some efficiencies, both in terms of speed and cost through this. But most importantly, this is one of the ways we see as potentially to access a much more diverse and representative group of patients. Um, I think everyone is aware, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast is aware that we have a significant problem of representation in the clinical trial setting. Uh, Historically, across whatever therapeutic areas, we have not Traditionally involved, appropriately representative, appropriately diverse populations. We see, excuse
0: me,
1: <laughs> I'm slipping there. We see this fully virtual trial as one key tool, one key opportunity to access a much broader pool of patients. And we're excited. Um, we're excited we've done it. It is underway, um, its underway you know been operationalized very effectively. And yes, we will be very excited as we else to see the results uh, later this year or early next year
0: no, I know i I think we are all very eager to see now, especially some of these larger scale rollouts or these more more um, clinically valid testing of DTX because I think it's been a while it's, you know as the, as that industry has started to you know gain a foothold in healthcare space i think it's it's you know, looking at it with more traditional ways of proving out, you know, these modalities has been, I think something that we've been eagerly anticipating. So it'll be exciting to see what happens there. I'm curious too, on, you know, I have to go back to the psychedelic side of things as well, Kabir, and just hear what your thoughts are on that category of, of treatment options. Because, I mean, so you guys have invested in mindset, which is psilocybin, but like you said, I mean, it's early days. And there are a lot of startups out there that are not just doing psilocybin, but also working with things like ketamine or, you know, working with others. You know, so what do you think about that category? And like from your perspective, you know, I mean, obviously you've put your money where your mouth is and in some right. you see some validity there. Right. But like long term, you know, what, what, are you, what do you think? That, how do you think this is going to pan out? And how far are we from this becoming like a real mainstream like, oh, yeah, we could just do this kind of treatment option when it comes to mental health?
1: No, well, thank you. So, yeah, so we, are, our first foray was actually an investment into Compass Pathways, which is studying psilocybin. And, yeah, they are probably among the most advanced companies. They reported their phase 2B last year for psilocybin. You know, as I said earlier, we, it behooves us as a company that wants to be leaders in mental health to follow the science. And what we see, saw, had emerged in the last few years after that kind of 30, 40-year lull of very little work, what emerged in the last few years was some extremely impressive evidence, but really with some very small ends, some very small numbers around that. And again, in the spirit of believing that we need to actually demonstrate in significant numbers the opportunity here, that's why we invested, for instance, in Compass Pathways. Through our McQuaid Center for Strategic Research and Development, which is an affiliate, a, a fully owned part of Otsuka in the US, we have, as you said, started to work with Mindset, that's very very early, and where there we are funding them you know, in the very early stages. And what we bring there is the fact that we clearly have significant experience in this area in clinical development and so on. I think you know let's acknowledge that bringing any of these products to patients at scale is still faces a formidable set of challenges. You know, regulatory, structural. How do you provide the psychological support at scale? what form of digital platforms and so on are going to be needed. And, you know, there are going to be challenges around IP and around a whole range of things and so on as well. But if we always start from the patient and say that we fundamentally believe there are significant numbers of patients who could benefit from some of these therapies in the right setting, appropriately distributed and so on, then, you know, we will, along with many other pioneers in this space, ultimately find solutions that deliver exactly that now is that three years five years or 10 years away I think that depends who you talk to in the space but I I would hope that it's you know for the first opportunity it's, it's very much at the shorter end of that spectrum
0: oh okay I love that you're like it depends who you talk to I'm like okay senior managing director and that's well, what do you think <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm talking to you <laughs> no, so
1: uh, look I, I you know again I think I think we will see compelling clinical evidence emerge within the next two or three years. So I think we will start to see, you know, much larger ends in terms of patient studies. I think we'll see compelling evidence. I think, you know, that will dispel some of the hype, but actually really show us which patients can benefit from this. What's harder to predict is, as I say, those challenges of delivery in a commercially viable paradigm, given everything else that's needed to make this a successful outcome for the patient at that, that one's harder for me to understand, but I think, will we see compelling clinical evidence that helps to move the, forward field, the field forward significantly? I think we will see that within three years.
0: It's just exciting to see your thinking on this. Three years, that would be amazing. Okay, last thing I want to ask you about is some of the behind the scenes stuff, some of the behind the scenes health tech. So, we've got, you know, I I cover the space broadly. And so, one of the things that I'm fascinated in is, you know, real world evidence, real world data. You mentioned Verily. I mean, so there are a lot of tech partners that are working with you behind the scenes in terms of helping, you know, make those clinical trials more diverse or executing them more efficiently, you know, data collection, drug development things like that. Can you give us a sense of, of, of how some of that is going and you know, how you're looking at you know, improving the, the core business process of drug development you know, by using some of these new technologies and what you see as the real opportunity moving forward as far as those are concerned?
1: No, thanks, Jessica. That's a great question. So okay. one thing I should even have said about digital therapeutics earlier, clearly you know, part of the promise there is the amount of data that you mm-hmm. can collect through digital therapeutics and the fact that ultimately, you know, whether... You know, companies like us are selling individual digital therapeutics or whether we're actually able to you know, access data at a population level that helps health systems and so on. I think that's one of the interesting questions around that whole space. But more broadly, yes, I mean, with the explosion of data and analytics capability, you're starting to see even in areas like psychiatry real world evidence become you know much more important in a way it has been in other therapeutic areas. So we're working with Holmask for instantly for instance, we have a collaboration with them in terms of seeing how some of the real world evidence, some of the, the data we have around our medicines used actually by patients can help to inform better choices in future. Again, if you start from the premise I started with, which is we have great drugs, but we don't know who they work for or why they work for certain people and so on. The only way you're actually going to get to answers on that is by looking at the big data sets that we do now increasingly have available to us to do that. I think the other side of the business, and you know, we talked about the the fully remote trial, but of course, even before that, we, like everyone else, had been investing in appropriate platforms so that we could actually get real-time monitoring of clinical trials and so on. So we invested in a host of tools. And I think you will, again, obviously continue to see technology be leveraged you know, in a number of different pockets by pharmaceutical companies, whether it's, uh, as I say, on the development side or indeed on the commercial side in terms of omnichannel and so on and so forth. But the real promise of digital health and delivering superior outcomes to patients As I said, I think we are truly only at the very, very starting point of that in this industry.
0: I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to hear of all the different ways that you have integrated, you know, innovations and, and new technology into the business over there. And it's, and we will definitely have to check back with you to hear how things are going. But thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with me specifically about the way this is playing out in, in the sphere of mental health, because I do think that that is so important, especially right now. And, and just having this opportunity to just discuss this with you and hear a little bit about the strategy behind all this is just exciting. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: All right. We will talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Kabir Nath from Atsuka Pharmaceuticals. Please check out more interviews with the who's who of health tech as they are changing the way that we do healthcare over on my YouTube channel. It is youtube.com slash WTF health. Again, a big thanks to Kabir. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, it's Jess. If you're looking for more news on what's going on in health tech, I've got another show airing on this channel called Health Tech Deals. In this one, famous healthcare curmudgeon Matthew Holt joins me twice a week to weigh in on the biggest funding deals, M&A activity, and exits in health tech. Just look for episodes labeled Health Tech Deals.